and his mentor travel the highways and byways of the land on a never-ending mission to right wrongs, to develop understanding, and to seek justice for all. In time of dire need, young Billy has been granted the power by the immortals to summon awesome forces at the utterance of a single word. Jimmy, I got one name, Jimmy. It's alive. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> Yeah, she's alive. And she's in the studio. I don't know what kind of mood she's in. I have no idea. We're recording this before the the sun is over the horizon. I have no idea how Kimmy is going to be today. Let's find out on this episode number 1099. It's a throwback Thursday. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. That's right. A throwback Thursday, not a throw up Thursday. And... I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. And guess who the crazy one is? Uh, that's me. I wear that with a badge of honor, and the sane ones are right here with me in the studio. That is uh, two fur kids and Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. And how are you? Are you? Are you? What, what kind of mood are you in? I mean, are, are we talking Jaws shark kind of day, or, or are you okay? just have to see oh boy watch out <laughs> I, I hope you're doing all right i hope you're getting all rested up because we have a big appearance just around the corner and that's happening on sunday january 8th that's at the volusia county fairgrounds we will be at the deland comic and collectible show gimme and we look forward to seeing all our friends at this big event right mm-hmm. and i mean it's going to be a, a big time uh let's see we we have clay man who's going to be there with us he's going to be uh, at yeah. the event phantasmagoria orlando the steampunk mm-hmm. victorian horror group uh, doing some fire dancing performances they will be there artist john Beatty, known for working dc and marvel uh captain america also uh, yeah. punisher uh marvel secret wars and batman also oh, who am i forgetting here uh, oh, don't forget Tommy Castillo. Yes, Tommy will be there as well. Oh, some Cupcake Zombies will be there as well. Vicious Collectibles of Cupcake Zombie people will be there on hand, and they have been seen on TV, or as seen on TV. They're they're both uh, just recent national television personalities. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they will be fun. They will have some unique gifts there. Boy, I mean, the list just goes on and on, doesn't it, Kimmy? Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope I haven't forgotten anybody... You know, I, I have. Really, I George have. George Lowe. Oh, that's right. The voice of Space Ghost will be there as well. George Lowe will be there. He's there. Well, he'll be there when the, the doors open. Uh, we've we've kind of told him a fib. We told him it started at 4 o'clock in the morning, so he will be there on time. <laughs> and he, he's there. I'm giving him direction, so, you know, don't worry. He will be there. I'm his personal GPS unit, and we will get him in. He'll, the... he'll get there eventually. Florida's only so big. Well, that's true. And, you know, I, I just have to know what the perimeters are. Maybe he's learned his lesson from the last appearance he did uh, with the Riley and Kimmy show where he said, I do not want to drive on I-4. But you have to wait till the sun comes up because we have to use that as. Um... Well, I use that as a marker for right. him, you know. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, he, let's hope he, he no longer has restrictions on I-4. Right. That, yeah, that he's okay now. With, he may have changed his mind on that. Well, when I sent him on the old, uh, you know, the old covered wagon trail, which I did. Well, that early in the morning, he should be okay. He should be. It's that return trip. I think we'll, we will we will personally escort him back. Hmm. Really? Would, yeah, I think that would be a fun thing to do. Don't you? 
he he asked that before, <laughs> so and he was serious. Uh, he's there. Tim Proctor from The Walking Dead is there as well, and getting all zombie made up. Perfect. Just think about this. Pick up a cupcake zombie from the Vicious Collectibles people. Head over to Tim Proctor's thing and get a picture. That'd be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Scott Finster, the fantastic makeup artist, is there as well uh, doing his craft. You'll be able to see how this is done. It is simply amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many things. To, to gaming going on. There, There's fun throughout the entire day. Mm-hmm. Definitely a heavy collectibles kind of show, correct, Kimmy? Yes. I mean, uh, this one really leans that. So if you really, really like collectibles, you like comic books, Great selection of vintage comic books from Pop Culture Playground. They will be there bringing all their 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 Silver Age and their Bronze and Modern Age and maybe even a Golden Age comic book and some vintage magazines as well. There's something there for everyone. It's not just comic books because there are some very fantastic, excellent one-day uh, shows that are heavy. There's one in particular that's heavy comic book leaning, and they're great, but this one's more on that collectible side. Mm-hmm. There's something for everybody, all ages, and here is something that's really cool. It is affordable, right, Kimmy? Yes. How much for adults get in the door? $5. That's right. You heard right. $5. Just $5. Mm-hmm. Free parking. Yes. You know, some of those conventions, you, <laughs> you know, the big ones, you might drop 15 bucks just sure. to park. Or even Free more. Free parking. Free parking. So tell your friends about it. Easy to find. If you're just flying into Orlando, be there during the weekend, or maybe Daytona Beach. This is easy to get to. Uh, it's easy from Jacksonville as well, as mm-hmm. an example, or Tampa and things like that. Uh, just right in between. Right off of I-4. Right right in between of Daytona and Orlando, right off of I-4. So we look forward to seeing you. We'll be recording episodes of the Riley and Kimmy Show there. And by the way, be sure to check out our website right now, RileyandKimmy.com, for links to the Deland Comic and Collectible Show and a, an interview we just recently did, episode number 1095, a special episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. We talked to author Jeff Dixon, who will be there at the Deland Comic and Collectible Show. He is a writer of Disney Adventures. Quite a few. Matter of fact, four novels that are all set at Walt Disney World. Mm. And I have talked to a lot of individuals over the course of time that, that know Disney trivia. Uh, a good friend of mine that I used to work with at an Orlando radio station who is now at WUCF, that is Bob Kelly, he knows his, his Disney trivia quite well, but I say Jeff knows even more. Hmm. I think Jeff is like the master Yoda of Disney trivia. He'll be fun to talk to. Check out his books. And he even has a nonfiction book about Disney. He will be there as well. And you can hear what he has to say. He talks about his books and about the upcoming convention on episode 1095. And you can find that on our website right now. And what is our web address, Kimmy? Riley and Kimmy. Dot com. That's right, RileyandKimmy.com. Kimmy, are you ready to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia on this Throwback Thursday? Yeah! <laughs> Giving Kimmy a few seconds to get warmed up here, get her mind ready to go. She's actually doing calisthenics here in the studio. You get, her, get all the blood going to the brain. No, quit standing on your head! That's cheating. Okay, there, there, there. She's getting back into the air chair, ready to go. It is a Thursday, December 29th, Kimmy, as we open up the almanac, and it will be jumbled up. It will not be linear. It will not be chronological. It'll be all over the place. So here we go with our very first question for you, Kimmy. Give me the year that the publication, Life Magazine, 
ended being a weekly publication at newsstands. It had been at newsstands weekly forever, and it became a monthly publication. What year? Within 10. 1975? You got it very close. 1972, that happened. Tell me how many years it had been weekly within 10. 40? Who is shouting out these answers to you? Really? Yes, it's 36 years Ooh. that that happened. Who? Quit giving her Ooh. the answers. Quit yelling at your phone. Quit thank, ye- quit, thank you. Quit yelling at your tablet, your, your laptop, your desktop, whatever. Just stop that. Did you ever read Life magazine? No. Was it in the household? It was. They, they. What about that look thing? Was look in there too? No. Oh, but life was, but not look. Right. Look, look, not life. Oh, life, not look. Okay. It was on this date, Kimmy. The first transistorized hearing aid was offered for sale within 20 years. When did that happen? 1960. Very close. 1952. You got it within the 10, uh, 20. You actually got it quite, you know, you did well, very well. It's on this date, 1813. The British burned Buffalo, New York during the War of what? We've talked about this war before in trivia. I don't know. The War of 1812. Remember the War of 1812? Mm-hmm. Nobody remembers the War of 1812. Don't feel bad. Okay. There's actually history books written about the Forgotten War of 1812. Okay. And that happened in 1813. Moving over to the almanac, something else happening on this day, 1845. United States President James Polk signed legislation making Texas the 28th state of the United States. A few years later, 1848, President James Polk turned on the first gas light at the White House. Gimme. That's how they used to light up stuff. Okay. I actually lived in a, a beautiful home in a capital city that had all the gas jets still in the house. Mm. Really cool, and and uh, my bedroom uh, window, oh, you could see the the dome of the Capitol. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a cool thing. 1934, the first regular season college basketball game was played at Madison Square Garden in New York City. New York University defeated Notre Dame 25 to 18. Kimmy, it was 1937. <laughs> Babe Ruth returned to baseball, but it, he was a manager, the new manager of the Class D DeLand Reds. And, yes, I got that look. I was waiting for it. Yes, DeLand, Florida, Kimmy. Wow. Babe Ruth. Wow. He had retired from baseball in 1935. That's 1937. Think about those streets that you go to, that you walk on in historic downtown DeLand. Babe Ruth may have been walking those streets at one time hmm. many many years ago have to check out carousels collectibles see if they have any babe ruth memorabilia mm-hmm. talk to terry moore of more sports who will be at the delang comic collectible show he'll have a ton of sporting things i bet he can tell you some stories about babe ruth mm. in deland right yeah it was 1949 kimmy KC2XAK, that's the call letters of a Bridgeport, Connecticut TV station. It became the first ultra-high-frequency TV station to begin operating on a regular daily schedule. Ultra-high-frequency, otherwise known as UHF. Remember the UHF band on TV? Mm -hmm. UHF was one with all the high numbers. Remember that? Mm -hmm. You had the two. You had the VHF and UHF. Mm -hmm. For those who are listening that are millennials... Or those who have forgotten 
That's what TV used to be. You had mm-hmm. two different dials. Yep. But you loved changing those way back when. No, I didn't like that one dial. Which which dial? The one with all the numbers? Mm-hmm. Why? Because it took too long to get from one station to the other station? Well, it was more fine-tuning and See, wasn't the clunk, clunk, clunk. Well, I don't know about that. I don't remember. Well, I think you're right. I, I think I remember some, t- yeah, some of those tuners like that. I was trying to remember the TV stations were in your market, how far apart they were from each other way back then. I can't even remember. Was there anybody up on the top band, the the VHF, way mm-hmm. back when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. There was? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know there was, uh, what, let's see, it was 17 and there was 23. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who else was. 13. 13. That's it. And that was up on the top band then, right? Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. All right. Moving to something else happening on this date, 1953, Jean Stapleton debuted in her first Broadway play. It was called In the Summer House. It closed after only 55 performances. It was 1985. Phil Donahue and a Soviet radio commentator hosted the Citizens Summit via satellite TV. This is where citizens of both countries could talk to each other. This concept would eventually go to kids TV for a period of time. Moving over to notable birthdays today, Kimmy. See if you can identify this person having a birthday. Her real name was used as the show's title, even though her character did not use her full real name. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. This person's having a birthday. Here's an audio clue. See if you can identify who the birthday person is. Okay, Kimmy, identify who that birthday person is. Mary Tyler Moore. That is correct. Mary Tyler Moore having a birthday today. What was the name of her character? It was not... Mary Richards. Yes, that's right. Mary Richards. And who did she play on the Dick Van Dyke show? Laura Petrie. See, now that think about that. It was the Mary Tyler Moore show, and she is Mary Richards. Mm-hmm. The Dick Van Dyke show, he was Rob Petrie. Right. And the Andy Griffith show, he's Andy Taylor. Yeah. That's crazy. What's up with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Seinfeld, it was Seinfeld. He didn't change his. That's right. You know, he wasn't. Well, I know. I, I just. I'm, what kind of confusion was that way back then? I don't know. Okay. This person having a birthday today, identify who it is and how old they are. Actor who came to prominence in the late 1960s with his performance in Midnight Cowboy in 1969. He played a paraplegic Vietnam veteran in Coming Home in 1978, for which he won an Academy Award for Best Leading Actor. And he played the penniless ex-boxing champion in the remake of The Champ in 1979. And he's in Transformers, the first movie. And he has a famous daughter. Can you tell me who he is? Yeah, it's Angelie Jolie's dad. That's correct. Who is he? John Voight. Kimmy, I don't know how you got that. Boy, you're like a computer there. Yeah. Yeah, John Voight, having a birthday today. Within five years, how old is John Voight today? Ooh, 78. Exactly right, Kimmy. Ooh. You're a big fan of John Voight's, obviously. Another person having a birthday today, Ray Thomas, English musician, best known as a flutist, also singer and composer for the rock band The Moody Blues. He is 75 today. Marianne Faithful having a birthday today. Do you know who she is, Kimmy? Not really. Marianne Faithful was involved with a certain rock musician. Do you know who her boyfriend was big time? She influenced a lot of the music on his group's albums for many years. She was involved with this person from 1966 to 1970. 
Mm-mm. She was in a highly publicized relationship with Mick Jagger. Yes, she is 70 years old today, and she is listed as VH1's 100 Greatest Women of Rock and Roll on their big list. Now, her first major release, As Tears Go By, was written and composed by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and became a chart success. The Rolling Stones recorded their version one year later and made it a, a big hit. Now, her involvement with Jagger would be reflected on some of the Rolling Stones' best-known songs, Sympathy for the Devil, that's an example. The song You Can't Always Get What You Want was supposedly written and composed about her. The songs Wild Horses and I Got the Blues on the 1971 album Sticky Fingers were allegedly also influenced by her, and she co-wrote Sister Morphine, and the Beatles also possibly were influenced by her. The song from 1966, And Your Bird Can't Sing, on Revolver album, might be influenced or written about her. Mm. She. Now what's her name again? Mary Marianne Faithful? Yes, Marianne okay. Faithful. Okay. You read the biographies of the Rolling Stones... Brian Jones has, you know, you, 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 can, you will find some things about her over hmm. the course of time. And you can find all the highly publicized paparazzi stuff from the 60s, too. She, uh, there was a, a, a raid, a police raid at Keith Richards' apartment back in the 60s. And there's a photo of her wearing a rug. That's all she, because she had no clothes and grabbed a rug. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So th- there, there you go. Okay. She's having a birthday today. Seventy. Moving over to somebody else having a birthday. See if you can identify who this actor is. Well known for his role as lead character in the TV series on NBC Cheers. He played Sam Malone, and he played on a show as a doctor. Becker. He played John Becker. Doctor John Becker. Who is he? I don't know. He played Sam, who owned the bar. Cheers. Oh, Sam who owned the bar on Cheers. He played Dr. Becker who insulted everybody on Becker. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Ted Danson. That's correct. Ted Danson. How old is he today? I was still thinking about the rug. Her wearing a rug. Don't get any ideas of cosplaying as her. No. (laughs) Please do not. Okay, Kimmy, how old is Ted Danson today within five? 67. He is 69. You made it. See if you can identify who this person is. Kimmy, tell me the hit that they had. I will play a little sniglet of it. It was a big hit, number one hit. She had quite a few others, too, in the 1970s. Here is your audio clue. Identify the song and tell me who the singer is and how old she is today. All right, Kimmy, what's the name of that song? Number one. If I Can't Have You. If I can't have you, I don't want nobody, baby. If I can't have you, oh, oh, oh. If I can't have you, I don't want nobody, baby. If I can't have you, oh, oh. All right, Danger playing something that has dance vibe to it because Kimmy is dancing around the studio. Calm down now. Tell me who the performer is, the singer there. Uh, I used to know her. You? Name. you were you friends? Uh, no, I used to know her name. Oh, okay. She had quite I a few can't... 1970s hits. She did? Yes, she did. But that was the big one for her. Yeah. I don't think I know her other hits, okay. but um, I can't think of her name. All right. 
Yvonne Elliman. Remember her? Mm-hmm. Y- Yvonne Elliman. Yes. How old is Yvonne? And that song was from Saturday Night Fever. Yes. Very good. How old is she today? Oh. Within five years. 62. She is 65 today. Paula Poundstone, you know who she is? Mm-hmm. Tell me how old. Comedian Paula Poundstone is. 68. She's 57 today. Nope. See if you can identify. Well, I'll, I'll give you who it is. You just tell me how old he is. Jude Law having a birthday today. How old is he within two years? 55. Actor Jude Law, who's acted with Robert Downey Jr. and Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Who was in... Road right. to Perdition. 48. Who was in Road to Perdition. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. He is how old, Kimmy? 48. That's your. That's the answer you're sticking with. Mm-hmm. He's 44 today. Oh. All right. That wraps up the list today. I think Kimmy did okay. Thank you for shouting out those answers to her. You can do that next time that Thanks. we play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia. And be sure to check out our archived episodes that are available right now on our website. And also, social media links. Friend, follow, and like us. Tell your friends about us. We offer a different kind of escape show if you will it's daily pop culture escapism we have a daily variety talk show that's a riley and kimmy show what's our web address kimmy riley and kimmy.com that's right And that's the Riley and Kimmy show because we uh, happen to stumble across a couple of things that happened on this date in history uh, around the President James Polk time period. I thought we would focus on something from the golden age of radio that is kind of like a biography of him. They have little hidden facts about U.S. presidents in a radio drama that they do. It's very unique. It's it's going right into the obscure side, not played a lot by collectors. We're going back in 1948. This is really cool to listen to. It's called Mr. President, and James Polk is the subject matter. What's really interesting from a ear candy point of view is William Conrad is the announcer. Kimmy, tell me something William Conrad is famous for. Cannon. Yes, he played Cannon on TV. He was also the voice, the announcer on Bullwinkle, and he's the original James Arness, Gunsmoke, from radio. Mm Mm-hmm. And did a ton of movies. Here is Mr. President James Polk, 1948, on the Riley and Kimmy Show. And now, Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello. Come in. Uh, Sit down, won't you? You know, the French writer Rousseau once said, provided a man is not mad, he can be cured of every folly but vanity. Well, once a president had the problem of trying to cure men of vanity and deal with another man's conceit. Later on, I'll tell you which president suffered such vexation at the hands of vanity, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. When I moved into the White House, war wasn't completely strange to me, but I soon found out that sometimes even war can be overshadowed by problems arising from strange quirks of human behavior. All in all, though, things had been running pretty smoothly up to that morning when I had called a meeting of the cabinet. 
Oh, Miss Sarah, you're here bright and early. I didn't see you come in. Probably because I was already here when you came in, Mr. President. Uh-huh. Hey, you're looking well this morning. Miss Sarah, I'm feeling well. <laughs> My administration is accomplishing the things we set out to do. I have the support of the Congress, the confidence of the people, and a mighty good cabinet. What more could a president want? Peace, perhaps? Oh, well, don't you worry, Miss Sarah. We'll have peace in short order once we get an army on the scene. Oh, uh, that reminds me, sir. You haven't forgotten you called a cabinet meeting for discussion of a military problem this morning, have you? No, no. Are they ready? Yes, sir. Well, I hope they will approve my next move. Well, they're waiting for you down the hall. Oh, then excuse me, Miss Sarah. Yes, of course. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mr. President. Oh, keep your seats. Keep your seats, please. There's no need to stand on formality as long as the reporters aren't looking. <laughs> I know you're all busy, so I'll speak briefly and to the point. Gentlemen, we need a commander who can organize a full-scale campaign and carry it forward into the theater of operations and win. I have therefore decided to submit for your approval the name of Arthur Douglas. Yes, I've already discussed this appointment with the Secretary of War, Mr. Marcy, and I believe he's in agreement. Is that right, Bill? Well, with some reservations, sir. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that Arthur Douglas is a good soldier. But he does have certain traits that make me wonder if he's the best man for the job. I think we know what you mean, Mr. Marcy. Douglas is a pompous, vainglorious, proud man. Well, maybe he's just vain and proud enough to make sure he wins, Mr. Buckman. But he's such a visionary, Mr. President. I doubt that his advice would be worth much. Well, I'm not appointing him to give advice, but to take it and translate that advice into terms of victory. You seem pretty definite on the subject, sir. Well, Arthur Douglas is, after all, our ranking general. I see no reason to bypass him simply because he's vain. Have you any further objections to Arthur Douglas, gentlemen? Not as a soldier, sir. Very well, then. Now that I have the approval of the cabinet, I'll call Douglas in and notify him the first thing in the morning. Well, now then, gentlemen, there are several other matters, some military, some civil, which will require our immediate attention, and then we'll adjourn. <laughs> uh, dated this day, President of the United States. Mm, there we are. Miss Sarah, my signature to the military appropriation bill. Congress passed Without it. batting an eye, Miss Sarah, without batting an eye. And for the full amount requested. Oh, you asked Arthur Douglas to come in this morning. Oh, yes, yes. He's waiting, sir. Oh, good. Show him in, please, Miss Sarah. Yes, sir. General Douglas, the president will see you now. Thank you, Miss Sarah. Thank you very much. Mr. President? Hello, General. Sit down, won't you? Mm-hmm. Well, General, I've decided to appoint you commander-in-chief of our proposed expedition against the enemy. I should be remiss in my gratitude, Mr. President. Were I not to recognize the honor you bestow upon me? Well, uh, Congress has given us the money that has manpower in sufficient numbers. It'll be your job, sir, to organize the campaign and carry it through. <laughs> it has long been my wish to lead our gallant forces on a dominant and impressive invasion. Sir, the important thing about your entry into, uh, into the enemy territory isn't the high style in which you do it, but how quickly you do it. And the speed is of the essence. Well... We'll, of course, take time to equip and train the forces to a point where I... Well, the more time we take in preparations, the more time we give the enemy to fortify in the wild and distant territories he now holds. And let me warn you, sir, we're dealing with a primitive and uh, fanatical people. Their defeat will not be easy. <laughs> what I dare say can be accomplished now, sir. Further instructions regarding our plans will be furnished to you by Secretary of War Marcy. 
After that, the ultimate responsibility of giving us victory will lie on your shoulders. Excuse me, Mr. President, but... But what, Miss Sarah? Secretary Marcy is here, sir. Did I have an appointment with him this morning? I don't remember. Well, no, there was no appointment, Mr. President, but he seems terribly upset. He insists on seeing you, sir. If he insists, we'd better see him. Show him, Miss Sarah. Yes, sir, right away. Come in, please, Mr. Marcy. Thank you, Mr. Oh, for heaven's sake, Bill, what rain cloud did you blow in on? You look as glum as an, an empty purse. What's the trouble? I thought we'd agreed that a full-scale campaign against the enemy was to be launched at once. That's right, Bill. Then how do you explain General Douglas's latest announcement? Explain it? I haven't even heard it. Without consulting me or anyone else in the War Department, General Douglas has announced publicly that he would not be prepared to set out for the seat of war before the 1st of September. He what? See here, Bill, he, he not only bypassed you, but he bypassed me as well. That statement is in direct variance with the instructions I gave him. What's he thinking of? He's caused us no end of embarrassment in other ways, too, sir. His vanity, his tactless utterances have just about wrecked our plans to get sufficient officers. Tactless utterances? What did he say? He's been telling applicants for military positions that such positions have been created largely for Western members of our political party. Why is that? Why can't he have some sense as well as be a good soldier? He seems to forget that he's not running the war all by himself. What do you suggest? Order him to see such unfounded statements and to proceed with the immediate prosecution of the war as he was directed to do in the first place. Uh, gentlemen, I have called this special meeting of the cabinet <coughs> to discuss some extremely important issues. You are all aware that we are at the moment about to launch a campaign and at the very heart of the enemy homeland. In view of this, I have been giving some very serious thought to the strategy involving the invasion. Bill Marcy and I are in agreement as to the point of attack. Now, I'd like you to look at this map, gentlemen. We have decided that the most likely point to launch the invasion would be here on the eastern seaboard. Mm -hmm. uh, Once we have uh, captured this city and gained a foothold, it is possible that the enemy will recognize our superior strength and sue for peace. But should they continue resistance, then our armies will press inland to strike a death blow to the very heart of the enemy country, its capital. Uh, Excuse me, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. Buckman. I'm sure you're aware of it, sir, but allow me to call your attention once more to the fact that there are several men in the Congress who do not favor invasion of the enemy homeland. Mr. Buckman, I was elected president of this Congress. I feel perfectly competent in the duties which the Constitution has assigned to the chief executive. And it is my hope that my friends in Congress will suffer me to conduct the war as I think proper and not plan the campaigns for me. Have you no fear of the enemy armies, sir? I don't underestimate the enemy, Jim, but frankly, I'm more fearful of the priests than of the military. What? The priests? Yes, yes. It is my belief that certain designing persons high in the enemy government have convinced the priests that our armies plan to pillage their churches and overthrow their religion. If the priests harbor such beliefs... They will incite their followers to a fanatic and desperate uh, resistance. I don't see how we can do much about that aspect, sir. No, the War Department can, Mr. Marcy, but I, I think I have another idea. No, how can we offset? Well, gentlemen, I doubt that there's a precedent for this, but I 
think it's time we laid aside some of the old rules of warfare. I have therefore instructed Bishop Hughes of New York to select some prominent religious leaders in this country to accompany our invasion army. They will use their respected offices to assure the enemy that our country will guarantee religious freedom and kind treatment. We may not subscribe to another man's religion, but he must have no doubts that we support his right to follow it. Of course, I agree with that, sir. What's this interrupting a cabinet meeting? Uh, One moment, uh, gentlemen, excuse me. What is the meaning of this? Oh, sir. I'm awfully sorry, Mr. President, but Mr. Marcy's office just sent this over. They said it was very urgent. Oh, it's for you, Bill. Uh, here you are, sir. I hope that, that I could... It's all right, Miss Sarr. It's all right. Something serious, Bill? To reply to my last instructions to General Douglas, the ones I issued under your order, sir. Well, did he... Did we make ourselves clear? Evidently not, sir. Listen to this. He says, I have learned from you that much impatience exists in high quarters that... I have not already put myself en route for the seat of war. Well, he's certainly right there. He goes on. I am too old a soldier and have had too much special experience to place myself in the most perilous of all positions. A fire upon my rear from Washington and a fire in front from the enemy. Does he mean to infer that he... This is the most childish piece of nonsense I've ever heard. Gentlemen, meekness and humility are not exactly qualities one seeks in a military leader. Well, Douglas certainly isn't afflicted with either. Oh, you're right, Bill. His pride and vanity we might have overlooked, even his insolence. If he could help us win the war. But this is plain insubordination, and that we, we cannot abide. Of course. I agree with that. What do you intend doing? Do? There's only one thing we can do. We have no choice but to relieve Arthur Douglas of his command at once. At a time when so much depends on action, sir? It's a pretty kettle of fish, isn't it? Now that we have our plans all made, we don't have a general to carry them out. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. This is a fictitious conversation, but it is the kind you might have heard just recently between people you know. Two men are talking. We'll call them Joe and Harry. Joe is complaining about rising prices. I tell you, Harry, he says, a dollar doesn't buy anything today. Sometimes I think, what's the use of working? And it's all the fault of this great American economic system. Well, Harry doesn't agree with Joe, but why get involved in an argument, he thinks. So Harry just says, oh, I wouldn't go that far, Joe. Of course, Harry knows he could mention that our system has brought more people a higher standard of living than any other system in the world. But Harry is afraid of speaking the plain truth, and he loses the opportunity of convincing Joe that the American economic system is unrivaled. And Joe, even if he doesn't know it, has joined the enemy's camp. As a good American, don't be afraid to speak up when you hear someone attack the American economic system. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. you figured out by now who the president was in this story. But don't forget, many presidents have had the problem of dealing with pride and vanity on the part of their generals. Later on, I'll tell you which one this was. After the removal of General Douglas, I appointed a new commander. He inaugurated a campaign against the enemy, but it wasn't successful. He proved to be the dupe of certain political connivers who had their eyes on the next election. We were getting nowhere with the war and the Congress, and the people were getting very impatient. 
I realized that military experience took precedence over almost any personal feelings, so I swallowed my pride and called another council with my captain. Uh, Mr. President, we just don't have adequate leadership in the field, sir. I'm aware of that, Bill. I know that the Congress and the people, yes, and even most of you still feel that Arthur Douglas is the one man who can conduct the campaign to a speedy victory. Uh, frankly, Mr. President, I don't like him personally either, but I remind you again, he's still our ranking general, and he's the best soldier of our time. I know, I know, Bill. I've been... I've been over his record a hundred times. I've found no other to compare with it. And in view of his behavior before his removal, nothing but grim necessity can induce me to give him a second chance, but it looks like that necessity is upon us. Then we're agreed? Agreed. Arthur Douglas goes back as (laughs) commander-in-chief. President, Mr. President. For heaven's sake, Miss Sarah, what's the matter? Mr. Marcy is here, sir, with good news. Ooh, really? Bill, what is it? We've just received word that General Douglas has taken the first objective. He's established a foothold on the eastern seaboard of the enemy homeland. Oh, that is excellent news. I'm glad, Mr. President. This vindicates you and your decision to reinstate him. Oh, I never had any doubts as to his military ability. But tell me, Bill, has there been any indication of surrender on the part of the enemy now that we've invaded? We haven't heard of any, sir. Well, we will. Victory is in sight, Bill. And now it's time to begin thinking about the character of the peace. Yes, sir. And that's really going to be a problem. A problem, sir? Yes. Who will negotiate for us? Douglas may be a great general, and he's familiar with the country and the people in that part of the world, but can you imagine him negotiating a peace? (laughs) Yes, I begin to see what you mean. Well, thank goodness we're not entirely unprepared. I've anticipated this moment for some time. Miss Sarah, have N.P. Trist here to see me the first thing in the morning. N.P. Trist? Yes, you know him, Bill. Yeah, I know him. He's probably considered the most conceited man in Washington. Well, maybe so. Trist has worked in the State Department a long time. He's familiar with the enemy language, so I've decided to send him. Send him where, sir? To the headquarters of the army. We'll call him a commissioner. We'll give him authority to offer the enemy peace before a battle, during a battle, or after it's over. Ranking over General Douglas? Diplomatically, yes. Not from a military view. We'll draw up the terms of the peace here in Washington. We'll send them to Trist, and Trist will give them to Douglas. And then wait for the explosion. Oh, yes. Of course, there may be fireworks, Bill. But then we can't give Arthur Douglas the power to draw up the peace terms. I suppose you're right, sir. But I can't help thinking what may happen when Mr. Trist's conceit Bumps up against his hand. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's see what I've written. General Arthur Douglas, Field Headquarters, American Expeditionary Force, so and so. Dear sir, having this day set foot upon captured enemy territory, I beg to inform you that I've been invested with authority to arrange for suspension of hostilities. This authority has been given me by the War Department. If the moment arrives when I shall deem it best to ask that all shooting cease, I shall expect your cooperation. Respectfully, N.P. Trist, Commissioner. Orderly. Orderly. Yes, sir? I wish this message dispatched immediately to Army Headquarters and placed personally in the hands of General Arthur Douglas. (laughs) Thank you.
words to inform me, does he? Well, I won't do it. He will tell me when hostilities shall cease. Sergeant. Sergeant Collins. Yes, sir. Message, Sergeant. Urgent. You ready? Yes, sir. Go ahead. My dear... No. No, make it Mr. Trist, sir. Mr. Trist, sir. I see that the Secretary of War proposes to degrade me by requiring that I, the commander of this army, shall defer to you the question of continuing hostilities. In the heart of this hostile country from which it would be impossible to withdraw this army without loss of probably half of its members, this army must take military security for its own safety. Hence, the question of an armistice is a military question, and unless you are clothed with military military rank rank over me, under the circumstances, I shall demand that in your negotiations with the enemy, you refer the matter of armistice to me. Signed, General Arthur Douglas. Why, that stupid peacock. This man is the greatest imbecile I've ever encountered. Orderly. Yes, sir? A message to General Douglas. Sir, you have misapprehended the purpose of my message. Your fancy and over-cultivated imagination would make it appear that there is an intention to interfere with proper military functions. Such is not the case. I am here to arrange a peace. The terms of that peace I am enclosing in this letter. You are hereby ordered to dispatch these terms to the enemy at once. Any man of plain, unsophisticated common sense would understand the course determined by our government regarding the suspension of hostilities is right and proper. Is it your belief, Commissioner, that I am to be deprived of any voice in agreeing to the terms of peace with the enemy? Am I to bow to your judgment on matters purely military? I will cheerfully obey direct orders from the President, but not those of a, a clerk out of the State Department. And what's more, I intend to notify Washington as quickly as possible. You say you just received this from General Douglas, Mr. Monson? Just now, Mr. President. Uh, must we be forever saddled with emotional neurotics charged with carrying out our affairs? I understand a bit of correspondence has been going on between Trist and Douglas ever since Trist's appointment. Tell me, who are they fighting, each other or the enemy? Douglas has even refused to transmit Mr. Buckman's note to the enemy authorities. You mean the enemy has not yet been informed of our terms? That's my understanding, sir. Oh, very well, Mr. Marcy. Prepare a dispatch to General Douglas, rebuke him for insubordination, and tell him to give our peace terms to the enemy at once. Order him to give us an immediate answer. Yes, sir. He might be removed from command and court-martialed. I'll delay action until we receive his reply. We have our answer from General Douglas. Yes? He requests that you remove him from the command. He what? Uh, Jim Buckman and I have decided that's probably the best thing to do. You've decided? Well, I haven't decided. But I understood that when we talked last, you said he should be removed. Well, I've changed my mind. Changed your mind? Yes, I changed my mind once before about Douglas, and I was right that time. I hope you're right this time. Mm, It's true. These men have written bitter and foolish letters to each other, but... Between them, our orders have been disregarded. Because of their controversy, the golden moment for concluding peace may have passed. I know, I know. But if we let Douglas resign now, it would be to admit the truth of the charges. And that I will not do. What then? Write the strongest notes you can. Send them to both Trist and uh, Douglas and tell them to obey orders. Yes, Mr. President. Tell Trist that so far as the enemy is uh, government is concerned... He is simply the bearer of a dispatch for delivery into the hands of General Douglas. 
In all other respects, his functions are to be purely diplomatic, and it is no part of his duty to discipline or supervise the commander. I'll make it clear to him. And tell Douglas that this government has given him no cause for offense. Tell him we deny the charges he makes and that I order him to stay at his post and uphold his duty as a soldier and a servant of this government. His request for removal is hereby denied. Yes, sir. If that doesn't straighten out these two schoolboys, then I'll have to find stronger methods, that's all. Yes, come in. Mr. Trist? Yes. Sergeant Collins, attached to the staff of General Douglas headquarters, sir. General Douglas? He's had word of your sickness, sir. He begs to offer his wishes for your quick recovery and send you this package, this note. Hey, well, a package, note. Let me see it. My dear sir, looking through my stores, I find a box of guava marmalade, which perhaps your physician may not consider improper as part of your diet. Yours very sincerely, Arthur Douglas. Well, the good general must be more kind-hearted man than I imagined. He seemed much concerned over your health, sir. Sergeant, please give the general my sincere thanks. Tell him it affords me the greatest of pleasure to accept his gesture of good feeling. <laughs> it's certainly a remarkable turn of events, sir. And you say they've become fast friends, eh? Yes, sir. And it all started with some guava marmalade plus the notes that Marcy sent. Well, it's had a good effect. Their efforts in working together have brought us closer to a conclusion of the campaign than we've ever been. In fact, I expect we'll be able to issue a declaration of peace in the very near future. Well, that was the idea from the beginning, wasn't it? It's good you insisted on their staying on the job. Well, at least it accomplished one thing. It made fast friends out of two bitter enemies. More than that, sir. With the prospect of a peace completely favorable to America... we've accomplished everything we set out to no, do. No, no, not quite, Bill. Not quite everything. There are two things we didn't accomplish. We didn't cure Trist of his conceit or Arthur Douglas of his vanity. But as long as they've done a good job, I guess we can forgive them for being human beings and having some frailties. And we can be very thankful, above all, that they put their country above everything else. You've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. The time of our story was 1846 and 7, and the president who found that a man can be cured of every folly except vanity was James K. Polk. The vain general whom we called Arthur Douglas was Winfield Scott. President Polk was instrumental in the prosecution of our war with Mexico, which ended in the signing of the treaty which the, gave the United States the territory of California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you will enjoy. Goodbye. <laughs>
Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture The Three Musketeers, starring Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reek. This story by Dwight Hauser was suggested by incidents in the life of President James K. Polk. Music was composed by Basil Adler. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website, at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, Be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.